Welcome to the Bastards of Art podcast. I'm Matt Hodell. In this episode, I get to interview Carl Napa, producer and engineer. He walks us through the creative process and the steps it took to get to where he is and the achievements and success he's had with his life. Enjoy. Carl, are you okay with all the lowbrow equipment? Yes. I love it, actually. <laughs> is, there, is there anything romantic about working with the lowbrow? The I mean, fun. we're sitting next to probably like a, a, small, of, a, small, a small, small car. Um, the funny thing is that lowbrow, what you're calling lowbrow equipment, is better than <laughs> what I started on. You know what I mean? Technology has come so far, and the, the quality that you're probably getting with, or you are getting with the computer setup with the We just have a, we have a simple Zoom, and we have a, a MacBook, yeah. and it's some software. And that's better than my, you know, my first recording equipment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, now, the new stuff that I use is, is maybe a little bit better, but, uh, I mean, the program is probably virtually similar. Yeah. You know, Pro Tools is a little different than Adobe, but these guys are coming on strong and, and really getting the whole pro video market. So there's nothing too cringy about it. No, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, I just want to say really quick, just... Who is Carl? This is this guy right here I'm talking with who, who is one of the most humble people I've ever met. You can Google him and what you're gonna find out is some of the simple things like uh, over 30 gold, platinum, and multi-platinum records to his name. He's worked with, and I, I can't even say all these. We'll start with the obvious, which is Nelly, NSYNC, Run DMC, Get Up Kids, Pet Shop Boys, Ice Cube, Blondie, Limp Biscuit, Michael Jackson, Shaka Khan, R. Kelly, MC Light, Michael Bolton, Madonna, Prince, Steve Perry, and Riley James. And Riley James. Oh, good old Riley. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I say those names, do, do any of them jump out at you? Jump out at, at like, 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 like when you hear those names of, of, of like, I'm sure by now there's something like you've heard it enough and you know who you are. No one has to remind you. But, but when you hear those names out loud and someone else reads it, do any of those names in particular, any experiences with those names jump out at you? You know what's funny is what jumps out at me is all the stories, like all the things that happened in those sessions and and what I was going on in my life at those particular particular times. Kind of, as you're saying them, I'm like, oh, Blondie, yeah, I remember it was Studio C at the Hit Factory, and my friend Anthony was working in one room and I was in the other room, and we did all this stuff, and you know, I used to play hockey with um, um, Jimmy Destry, and he was on, and then all of a sudden you think of all of that stuff, and and you know, uh, you know, I'm sure you're very similar. Like, you know, we spend so much time at work that our our work people become our acquaintances and then later on become our friends because no one else wants to hang out with us because we can never do anything. We're always working. Well, not only can't we do anything after all, but I think the language we speak really narrows down who our audience can be. True. We can be kind of bland and boring at a dinner party when we don't, you know. Yeah. But they all want to know the stories. Like, And then, you know, you know, you give them a couple and next thing you know, Hey, can you get tickets? <laughs> you know, uh, sorry, wrong, wrong end of the business. You mentioned the Hits Factory, and um, I guess your title there was a staff engineer. I started as an assistant engineer. What does that mean as a, as a staff engineer? Like, what if, if we're if we're talking about rungs on the ladder? What rung is that, staff engineer? Uh, staff engineer is, is towards the top. Okay. When I started, I was at the bottom. Mm -hmm. I was a runner. Okay. We call them general assistants. So I guess real quick, run us through what some of the roles, and stuff. Yeah, roles would be. So in a, in a professional recording studio, there's, there's a bunch of people that, that keep the place running. Obviously, you know, if you look at the top, you have your owner or your manager who's actually booking the rooms and 
putting people in and out. Um, and as you go start at the bottom and go back towards that high position, you know, you have your, your, your basic runners, the guys that will run and get food, that uh, if you need a microphone, they'll run and get it, and so forth and so on. And, and they don't really touch the equipment, but they'll help set up speakers or um, um, stands, cables, mics, things like that. When the recording starts, usually they're asked to leave the room. As you get to be, the next step up would be considered an assistant engineer. That's the guy who's the liaison between the studio and whoever's renting the room. Uh, my particular studio is a personal studio, so I don't really have a staff assistant because I just it's so set up for me. It's always right set up and ready to go. But in a professional recording studio, you never know who's going to walk in the door. So that room has to be reset every time a new session comes in. It could be we could be doing an orchestra one day with 80 pieces out in the live room or a singer the next day. So all those cables have to be put away and all that stuff. And so the assistant is the one who really knows the room inside and out, technically. Um, they might not have the experience to sit down and actually do the recording, but they have the experience that they can actually set everything up, get it rolling, where the, the main engineer, the, the staff engineer, will come in and eventually you know, get the levels, tweak the board, you know, and, and actually do the session. So I went, I started as a general because um, we had about 100 employees and they wanted me to learn everybody, even though I went there with about three years worth of experience. I moved up pretty quickly to assistant. Uh, and at the time, I think we had 10 recording studios. I don't think I know. Uh, and there were 16 assistant engineers who've all went on to have accomplishments, like most of them, like myself, and have done really great things. And it was a very cutthroat environment. The owners loved to fire people. Uh, maybe because I was Italian, I definitely uh, didn't get fired, I like to think. But I also like to think that, you know, I worked my ass off. I never said no. Uh, unfortunately, back in those days, um, if I was going to dinner with my wife, the beeper went off. This was back in the beeper days. And you go to the you know, New York City street corner with a pay phone. What's up? Oh, I got a session. Can you be here in 15 minutes? Sure. Sorry, Annie, I can't go to, I can't go to dinner. You know, family parties. Hey, have fun, and um, I'm sure that 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 helped with the demise of my relationship. You know, when you don't put anything in, um, nothing will grow. But um, but what I did put into his work, and I, I mean, I took everything that came down my my the pike to the point where the owner, the main owner, the, the old man, one day was like, "Why the hell is this Napa kid working on all the sessions?" I, I say yes, like I don't know how to say no. And, you know, typical session is 12 hours, 14 hours. Um, and a lot of times um, you would get a call at like, you know, you're breaking down maybe 7 in the morning, 8 in the morning, and, and the studio manager would come in and be like, hey, you, you okay? You want to work today? Fuck, I'll work and keep going. Work another shift, you know? But uh, back in those 90s, it was like mid-90s, early 90s, and it was just, it was a crazy time. Hip-hop was, was starting to become something. Um, no one knew who Puffy was back then, but he had... Typically five rooms every night at the Hit Factory rented out with Biggie Smalls and Craig Mack and Total and 112. And uh, Faith Evans was a producer who was writing songs for him. She wasn't even an artist at the point. And it was just this time where, like, everybody was working. And, and it was just coming from Boston, doing a lot of rock and roll. I got to New York and it was all hip hop. And I'm like, I'll do those sessions. Well, those New York engineers didn't want to do them because they were sick of doing hip hop because they had lived it, you know. And I'm like, cool, you guys can go do those one or two rock sessions that come in a month. I'll do this stuff because this is awesome. You know, because when I lived in Boston, you know, I, I, I learned about hip hop, but it was like listening to um, 
underground radio or college radio or trying to figure other shit out on my own that I had no idea what it was, you know? And all of a sudden now I'm at ground zero, you know, and it was uh, it was pretty amazing. I don't know if that answered the question. No, that was, that was, other, don't that was great. That yeah. You actually flew through four more questions. There's other that people really that do good. stuff. There's technicians <clears throat> that fixed equipment and all that other stuff, but those, uh, those are the main guys. So, and, and so you've gone through, and your title now, what, what would your title now be? You, you um, wear a couple of hats, but in the industry. In the industry, I'm a, I'm a record producer slash mixer slash engineer, you know. And what is so, it, what's it, well, for people who don't know, what's the difference between a producer and an engineer? Sure, so in, 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 if you're making a movie, a producer's the dude who has the money, right? Plain and simple. Um, in the music side, the producer is the guy who guides the creative process of a record. Doesn't necessarily have to be an engineer. You know, like a, there are certain producers out there that typically, or not even typically, but just deal with music. Oh, that's, that song doesn't sound good. Do you have anything else? You know, how about a different arrangement? Why do you guys keep singing that same part over and over and over again? And they're not very musical, but they have a great sense of what music should be, what it should sound like, how it should feel. Um, but they're also good. A good producer can can go and get more money from the record company, you know, can, can work the budget, knows how to make that budget go a little further, um, stuff like that. When I came up, I was really on the technical stuff. I started as an assistant, worked my way to an engineer, and as I was engineering, by default, a lot of times, the hat would fall on me to like, people would go, well, what do you think? What do I think? It's good. Well, what, what's good about it? Well, it's a good question. What is good about it? And you start to, you know, watch some of the older cats that, that I learned under had it like down to nothing. They could be doing all the technical stuff and be like, no, that's flat. That should be this. Why don't we try a double chorus here? Why don't we move this and this and this and this? And don't do that solo and do that. And. By watching these older guys, I realized that you can juggle. It's not easy because you're wearing two hats, but you're also, you know, left brain, right brain. You know, technically, I guess my left brain is like watching my levels, uh, making sure things aren't distorted, listening for the technical side of the recording process. Is there too much highs, too many lows? And then my right brain is, man, that's a really nice vocal. Oh, that girl's singing it really well. Oh, we should add a tambourine there to add some lift to the chorus. So. When I started like transitioning, you know, um, to that next level, I wanted to do both at the same time. So I became what is called a producer engineer. So I engineer my own stuff, but I also can deal with the, the musicians in the band. I can talk music, I can talk budgets, I can talk the technical side. Um, and, but what's happening now in my career is I'm getting a lot of calls to just mix records which is someone's already made the record, someone's already recorded it, someone's already produced it, done the whole thing. They just don't like the way it sounds. So I'll go in and individually adjust the bass drum, the snare drum, the, the keyboards, guitars, vocals. Also, when it's done, it plays back on your stereo system impeccably. You know, that it'll sound great on a, a set of speakers like this uh, computer or these big monsters that I have in the studio here and everywhere in between. That's That's the... You know, I'm going to back up. You, you mentioned left brain, right brain, sure. and the creative, the creativity. And so, one of the questions I want to ask is, your process, Carl's process. When you know you have a project coming up, when does the creative side kick in? What what is what are the steps that like? Do you have the back of your head? Do you like wing it when you go in? Do you mm -mm. take a lot of notes? Do you use resources and reference? Just walk us through that really quick. So. 
let's say I'm I'm just mixing a project. I'm not producing. I'm just I'm just mixing it. I ask for a, a working copy of the song. What have you guys been listening to for X amount of time? And typically I'll get, you know, a CD sent to me or an MP3 or, you know, Dropbox or whatever the format is, right? And I like to to tool around with it. If I'm driving somewhere, the CD's in the car. My phone's plugged into the AUX jack. And I'm listening to just the song. I'm learning it. That's if I have time. If someone sends me something tonight to mix tonight because there's a deadline, what I'll do is I'll learn the song before I even start the creative process. I'll open it up and technically go through each track, make sure there's no pops and clicks and um, buzzes and whatever, whatever. And as I'm doing that, I'm learning, oh, that's a cool little bass part right there. You know, remember that. Um, Sometimes I'll even take notes about certain parts. So when I start on the creative, when I flip into that creative world, I already know what I want to do. I've already visualized the song completely done. Um, Especially if I'm driving around listening to something like that, I start to hear what it should be completed. Like they're burying that that little snare roll that's like pushing the beat around. That shouldn't be bouncing, you know? And then I'll try things when I get into the mix. Now, if I'm producing... It's a whole different ballgame because now I want to steer the ship to, to give the artist his, the best thing that that person can record. So what I'll do is we'll sit down and do what is called pre-production. We'll sit down uh, with just a guitar and a vocal or piano or some, some basic element of the song and the, and the artist will play it. Hey, what do you think of this song? And I'll listen and I'll, I'll, that's when I start taking notes. You know, this, this is a really cool first verse. You know, it's kind of long. Maybe we should break that up with a pre-chorus in between it or, you know, some kind of ABA section or whatever, you know, the you know, songwriting structure type stuff. And as I'm doing that, just that basic listen and, and as a listener first, you know what I mean? I don't jump in on the technical side. I listen as if, as if, as if me and you were just chilling and, you know, listening to a couple of songs. You know what I mean? And I think, man, and all of a sudden I start to hear it complete. Wow, what if we had a drum there and it was doing this pattern? Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Okay, now I visualize that and and I start to I start to see the song complete, which is kind of a weird thing to, to well, talk about. Let me about. pause you really quick. Let me when you say see the song, and I think you're getting ready to talk about this. What does a song look like? A video. So I see the video, which is weird because the music video. The music video. Okay. So I see the, which in my head is the person performing, right? And, um, and, and I start to see the people on stage or in however they're doing it. And like you ever see in a video when, you know, you get the guy or the gal singing and all of a sudden the guitar solo comes and they, 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 they zoom to the solo and it just happens to magically have that same volume as the lead vocal. I start to hear those things in those relationships. Yeah, this would be a cool little thing to showcase. And this word right here is really, you know, pretty important to the whole song. So instead of letting it kind of get covered up by all these instruments... What if we made space for it? What if we did a drop right there where I took out all the drums and that word just came out magically? You know, all these little like... Um, um, Showcase you, moments. Yeah, and like sub things that, that create like an additional hook that even though it's not the chorus of the song, it's a rep- repetitive thing. And it might even be like a, a drum beat. You know, I go kick, snare, kick, kick, snare. And then if that comes back a couple of times, now that pattern starts to repeat. That pattern starts to drive you in, drag you in and stuff like that. So a lot of times when I'm when I'm producing a song, like I'm, I hear the thing completely done, and I get this completely bummed out feeling because fuck, 
now I got to go do all of that work because I know how much work. I'm sure the same thing when you do a tattoo and you write that whole thing out and you try and it's sick. You're like, oh my God, now I got to do all this work all over again on someone's back. Yeah, tr- truthfully, at this stage of the game, I know I can do the work. Yeah. So that becomes mundane. It's the creative process that, that gets me pumped, you know. Yeah. So it's the same. Yeah. You've just explained something that sounded so easy. I mean, the way you explained it sounded like, well, yeah, I wake up and I do these things because that's who I am. So I got to ask, yeah. when there's a bump in the road, when you're lost, when you are when you start to question yourself, I mean, your applause, at this stage in the game, I'm sure your your applause doesn't necessarily come from your mom anymore. It's it really, we've already had these talks. It comes from inside. Sure. When you're not pleased with yourself and you're just like, this isn't it. I've done this before and I'm tired and I'm, or whatever the case may be. How do you work through those moments? I mean, the easiest thing for me is I get up and I go for a walk. And the walk could be to the restroom, could be around the building, uh, just to clear my head. You know, sometimes when we're in a rabbit hole, the worst thing to do is to keep going down it. Sometimes you just need to get your head up and breathe. Um, A lot of times when I'm against a clock and I don't have time or I'm tired, it's four in the morning and I have a deadline, I put on some music. I put on something that I love that literally makes me rethink what I'm doing. And a lot of times if I'm mixing something I'm getting and I think I'm doing really good and I'm kind of lost but not really lost and I'm second guessing and it sounds good on no speakers but not that one and this is doing that and that's doing the other thing and you start, before I touch anything, um, I'll put on something that, that I particularly like. When I say I like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a song that I like. But it's something that I've heard in the car, in the club, in, a, in, this, in the grocery store going down with those crappy speakers way in the ceiling, in a cab in New York City with three broken speakers and one half falling out, you know? And if those songs always sound good in those particular places, and I put it on to do as like a reference, and I'm way off, then I'm fucked. But typically I'm not way off, and it's just one of two things, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's the light in the tunnel. I just got to fix these few things that I got going on, and then I'm back. I always visualized that, that towards the end of a project, there's a certain keystone, just like an arch bridge. And once that goes in, then I can breathe, and yeah. I can go back and go, do I want to add handrails? No, I don't want handrails. I don't want to, you know what I mean? You can add yeah. all the other stuff. You've already mentioned that you wear many hats. You're, you're, not, you're a teacher, you're a leader, you're an administrator, you're an engineer, you're a producer, you're a mentor, uh, you're, you have a title of director of recording for Nelly, and you're a father. Mm-hmm. Okay. What does balance mean to you? Man, that's a great question. Well, let me, I'll follow up. I don't second. have any balance. Well, I'll follow up with the second question really quick to give you I'm an I'm divorced. Out. Yeah. Well, how do all these, how do all these titles relate to one another? And you know, it's funny. They do. I guess the, um, they relate because of, of, of the love of one thing of, of music. You know, everything that you've, you've mentioned, this is a music element in, in, in it. And music's been a, a strong part of my life since I was a little boy. Um, first as a listener and then as a musician and then as an, as a, in the music business as an engineer and a producer. But I think that, that common thread, even with my children, like we share a great bond with music. They're all musicians and they all play. Um, they've been in the studio before with me, but they're also... Um, avid concert goers and stuff like that so we can always talk music and we can play together too but um 
even with the school, like the school, we have a, we have a recording school. You know, I talk about music all day long. Students love to come into the office, like you say, mentor, and ask me, hey, should I do this or should I do that? The kid come in today and say, hey, can I play my mix? What do you think about it, you know? So I'm, I'm constantly surrounded by music, even when it gets to like the drudgery of, of being a leader, you know, when you have to fire somebody or, you know, people aren't doing their job and you have to be that, you know, taskmaster, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm still doing something I love and, and it, it doesn't do it. Now the balance, it's taken me, you know, 20 something years to, to create that. In my early days, I had no balance. It was always work. If I wasn't working, I was thinking about working. I was dreaming about it. I was, I was researching. I was, you know, reading magazines, reading books, re- you know, listening to songs, what other people have done. Can I steal that production? Can I do that in my thing? And over the last four to five years, not even that much, three years, uh, maybe even two and a half, uh, I did something that I always laughed about, date night. You know, me and my girlfriend, we go out every Friday night. Unless we have a big project going on. You know, she's a fashion designer and she always has deadlines. But Matt, I love that night. And I'm finally getting this thing where, you know, I have that kind of balance going on that, you know, I actually look forward to it. And I've actually turned stuff down um, to, to not blow off that night. Because I know I can't get, you know, is it really that crucial that it has to be done right now? Oh, no, it can be done tomorrow. Cool. I'll do it tomorrow. I have a session. I'll lie. I won't tell you that I have a date, but. Uh, and then I make a lot of time for my kids because they live in New Jersey with their mom. And I'm constantly flying back to see them or having them come in. And I do carve out a huge amount of time for them when they're here. I guess that jumps on to the importance of routine and how does that help with uh, with the creative process and with your work relationship and with the people around you. And then at the end of the day, we wouldn't do these things if it didn't feed our soul, if it didn't make us happy. Sure. Um, so what, what part of that is routine that like, how much routine did you have when you were younger versus how did that mature as your career matured? When I was younger, I had no routine. I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I didn't want to be known as the guy that did hip hop or the guy that did rock and roll or the guy that just did this or did that. You know what I mean? So what I did is I, if, if I was using a console, like an SSL one day, the next day I'd request to be on a Neve. I always wanted to use something different. If I use this compressor one day, I use that one. I never set it up where like, this is how, this is my process, this is my this. I was just trying to learn as much as I could. As I started to learn what I liked and what I was good at, I started to develop, like you say, a routine. You know, this is my process with this, so this is my process with that. Uh, to the point where even I was working with this producer one day and he was talking about, man, you find a pair of jeans you like, you buy 10 pants of them. You find a shirt you like, you didn't like that whole uniform thing. And I'm like, this guy's full of crap. Wouldn't you know, I wear a uniform to this day. I wear black pants. You didn't know me for how long in a black shirt. And I literally line them up in my closet. So I know, oh crap, you know, I got four or five good days left until I have to do laundry again. So it's always like, I don't even have to think about anything other than the task at hand, which is, which is music, which is the job I have to do if it's at the school or for here. Um, so with, with that, like I, I particularly like that routine. I like starting work at a certain time, knowing that here's my parameters. Uh, when I start a mix, I definitely start a certain way to learn the mix. Like I said, cleaning up the tracks and doing it that way. So there is a lot of um, familiar, 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 I can't say the word. Me familiar, I do. Right. And uh, <laughs> with, or else, 
you know, I feel like sometimes I get lost and 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 don't. It's not efficient. But it's also, you know, twenty some odd years of of doing it, you know, and, and understanding how to get to that end. By what I said before about some of your, you know, the validations of your word by by your accomplishments. Um, how does success help you, and how does success hurt you? The funny thing is, I, I feel like I've never had success, which is odd, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you count success as being to be able to do what you want to do and truly love it, you know. I think at an early part of my career, I made a conscious decision to uh, pray to one God, and that God is music. And like that was my driving force. If you had good songs, I'm working with you. You have no money, we'll figure it out. And what I would do is I would go and do these big records, whatever whoever wanted to pay the most money, and that would put a ton of money in my bank account, and it would allow me to do, you know, records with Riley or uh, some other stuff like that. Now, over the course of my career, obviously I've had some success and uh, people seem to like what I do and I get a lot of calls to mix and things like that. So a lot of those bigger records keep coming in. You know, my association with Nelly, I've been very fortunate. You know, you're talking about 10 plus years I've been able to work with him. Um, But I'll tell you a a quick story. when, When I felt like I didn't, nothing, I felt like the smallest guy, I was working in Miami. The Hit Factory had a place down there and I had moved from St. Louis for a minute. And I was dating this girl down there and was sitting in the studio and I had like a little production room, very small, you know, like some of the stuff was all in, most of the stuff was in storage, but I had my key pieces there and it was beautiful, you know, big window. And one of my old assistants pulled into the parking lot in a Bentley. I look at this girl I was dating, I'm like, man, what the, what did I do wrong? How come I don't have a Bentley? And she looks at me and she's like, are you that stupid? Like, you have three gorgeous kids. I'm like, yeah, anybody can have kids. And she goes here's your Bentley. Like, you've bought your Bentley. It's sitting in front of you. Like, that compressor is this much, and that microphone, and this, and, and all of a sudden, I started to think about, like, I put it all back in to what I do. I don't need the flashy car. It's not, I'd love to have one. Don't get me wrong. If I can ever afford one, that'd be kind of fun, but I know I would just beat the hell out of it and never take care of it. But this stuff, some of these pieces of gear, you know, I've had since I started in, in, in this in this business, um, I was actually teaching a class today about microphones and I pulled out, you know, about 30 or 40 mics and I'm like, oh my God, I've had this thing for 15 years and it looks like it was built yesterday. You know, so those things I cherish and I take care of, those are my tools. You know, when I was in New York, uh, a lot of the guys that I worked with would rent everything back to the clients and they would get mad at me. They're like, why aren't you renting your stuff back? And I'm like, if I hire an electrician to come to my house, he's not going to go, well, I could put those lights in for $25 but it's going to cost you $5 for my screwdriver and $25 for my drill. And I'm like, man, I'm not like that. This is my price. My price is high. Don't get me wrong. But all this stuff comes with it. And, 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 and for years, I mean, I've been, I've been collecting this stuff, but I've been using it at the same time. It's not just a museum. Like everything that you see in here gets used and gets, um, uh, gets on a record somehow. I really like that. You, you're really pulling everything together well and painting a really good picture. <laughs> Um, but you, you seem so relaxed now, um, as you, as you tell those stories, is that you, you said, you know, I don't feel successful. Uh, does it, does it feel like, does it ever feel like there is a goal that you're reaching? And if you hit that, you will feel like you've accomplished something. I mean, besides material, besides all the other stuff, is there you know, growing up, I always thought it was going to be like a Grammy award. Um, and 
unfortunately, I've never gotten one. And we, I should have had about five or six with all the stuff I've done with Nelly. You know, and it was, it was maybe poor management on his part, not his part, but his record company or who, you know, now that I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more involved in it, I see the process of, of getting a, a record nominated and stuff like that. And they just weren't doing it with no fault, no, you know, whatever. But I look back and I'm like, you know what my accomplishments are? Are the, are the sessions, are the, are the records, being able to put something on and go, yeah, I remember doing that. And like, you name those names and I, and I think of all that stuff and, um, and it was definitely a, 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 you know, a light came on uh, a few years ago when my kids started to understand what I really did. Up to then, they didn't, they didn't really know what I did. And they started to come to the studio and, and sit on sessions. And, and they were like, wow, wow, you've done that. Oh, you've done a lot. Look at this. And, then, and that was kind of fun. To me, that was a nice accomplishment. And then the other thing is to, is to do something you love. You know, um, the old saying, um, you never work a day in your life if you're doing something you love. And, and when I was a kid, my dad had his own business. He was an electrician. My brother eventually took over the business, and I, I was the black sheep. I went into the, the music business. And my dad used every Monday to be like, I, I love Mondays. Why do you love Mondays? I get to go back to work. And it always stuck in the back of my head. And later on, like when I started doing this more, you know, full time, I, I love it. I don't want to stop. You know, I, I just, I love the process. I love the process of capturing something that someone's doing creatively. It could be just a simple guitar part or a singer singing or a whole band playing together, knowing that, that I've captured that, that time, like a photographer, you know, setting up a shot, getting the, all the apertures and the ISOs and all that stuff, perfect, right? That's that shot, the, the whole thing is perfect, right? For me, that capturing that moment in time because they'll play it again if I ask them to, but it might not be the same, it might be better. But it might be worse, you know. That's our snapshot of time for that song, and I just I live for that stuff, you know. It's 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 for me. It's the most amazing thing. So at this point in time, we we've already built up. We've, we've just touched the iceberg of and built a picture that you have experience. Yeah, you have a lot of experience, and you're not a selfish person. And let me ask you this. Um, What's the importance of teaching at this point? And, and how, how has that affected you and your creative process and your own personal goals? Um, you know, the school's been open for about five years. But the truth is I've always had a, a, an assistant at the Hit Factory. You'd always find that one or two general assistants that really were hungry. And you would mentor them, you know what I mean? So there's always someone that I always had under my wing that I, that I was helping along. Um, and it, it never really dawned on me what I was doing until we opened the school. And to see the couple of guys, or you know, not a couple, I mean, we've graduated a bunch of students now, but what, what, that their journey can be a lot quicker because they don't have to you know, search out the right information. All the information's out there. I tell everybody who comes into school that, that you know, they're hesitant about paying, don't pay. Everything that you were going to teach you here can be found on YouTube, can be found in magazines and books. Uh, you could do an internship, all this stuff. But you want to spend five years doing that. Because the truth is, it's going to take some time to weed through the crap. Uh, because everybody has something to say, especially in this digital world. They all have their two cents. And my two cents is better than your two cents. It's worth three cents. You know, fuck you. Um, but what I think an education does is it gets you there quicker. It helps you... Um, 
to get to where you want to better. And by doing that and, and being able to, you know, the old, uh, all of the catchphrases to give back, to help out the next generation, you know, we say that easily, but the truth is, I mean, we're, we're, I'm, I'm giving back an incredible amount of knowledge. You know, I don't, I don't hold anything back. You know, if you want to know how I do that, fine. Because you can do it just like I do, but you can't hear it the way I hear it. You know what I mean? That's taste. I can teach you anything to use this room, and anybody can learn it. Matt, if I can, I can't even turn the computer on some days because I don't know what I'm doing. But I can use the hell out of that program. And I can use all the nut knobs and buttons, and I know what they do. But it's what the taste is what, what separates all of us. Maybe I like my bass a little bit lower and richer and my kick to be like this and and that's what separates all of us engineers and producers so i can show you every trick and i do if a kid wants to learn it no problem this is how i do it uh, but what's awesome is then seeing some of those guys take that and then come up with their own version of it and then me going wow that's pretty cool is this surprising i never thought about doing it like that you know what i mean it surprises you yes it, it still does to this day and uh and and it's and it's amazing because you can learn from anybody right and uh and 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 that's probably been the most rewarding thing is is seeing not only seeing my the guys that i've mentored and taught and all this stuff go on and do really cool things but also to come back and share some secrets and hey old man check this out you know oh yeah that's pretty cool i like that how do you how do you help your students with with things that seem obvious to you like how would you help a student through through maybe their fears or or I guess what I what I want to say is at this point in time you can see the student who they're going to become. How do you help them discover that about themselves? That's a good question. What I've found is that and this isn't even with students, this could be with an artist and whatever like that. I can't make you do something, right? As no matter how much I want it to come to fruition, to graduate, to learn this mixing technique, to get a top 10 record, to, to write a better song, to do all those type of things. I can't, no matter how hard I want you to succeed, you, you can't succeed without you wanting to succeed. Now, I can give you those tools and I can help you along the way, but I still believe that that person has to put in that time and to, to woodshed, right? No one taught you how to draw, right? You, can't, you had some some God-given talents, but I'm pretty sure at some point in time, you spend some time doodling, right? right? I spend some time working on this stuff, practicing the instrument, learning music. And when I see that, like, that thirst in somebody, you know, I try to feed it. I try to make sure that they have the tools to, to help them get to that next step better or quicker, but they still have to do the work themselves. I, I got to ask the obvious question, why can't you sit still? What do you mean? I sit still all the time. Am I moving out all you over the place? You have a billion projects going on. Oh, I don't even sit still in a chair. No. I mean, in life, like, I mean, there's there's certain people that, you know, their time is their time. And I guess what I'm really trying to say is, is that I think we could both agree that at this point in time, we figured out that the word work is, isn't a noun, it's a verb. Yeah. And I think the most people, to, to as soon as five o'clock comes around, they leave work and they're done with it and they don't think about it till nine o'clock the next morning yeah. 
But to us, it's it's something that we take with us everywhere. You just mentioned listening to it in the car, and you're gonna put it. You're gonna put a recording studio in your house at one point in time, yeah. and that you've already have a. A, we'll just say it. It's a over a million dollar studio that you get to sit in every day. But you've yeah. come down here and set up your own private studio. Sure. And then all the projects that you're working on. Um, I mean, you can Google your name, and it's it's kind of mind boggling to think that you did all that in the last twenty years. Um, why can't you just be happy and sit still and take a day off? Um, I don't know how to say no. And. You know, up until now, I never had hobbies. Played hockey, worked out. You know, I haven't been working out that much lately. But um, what I've in the last couple of years, what I've done is I've, I've created some hobbies for myself. We've talked about, you know, learning how to play golf. Mm-hmm. And then last year, you know, as you know, I bought a motorcycle, and I've been doing some riding and stuff like that. So I'm starting to at at 48, like um, uh, enjoy some of the fruits of my labor. Now, that said, I'm in the process of opening up my own recording studio, so those labors are going to get, you know, shrunk down, you know. Um, you know, it's funny, is uh, something simple like the, the, the poker game I went to a few weeks ago, uh, actually before Christmas with you, I still get the emails about the guys getting together, but I just don't have the time to come, and it kills me. And that's why I never wanted to play golf as a kid, because I knew I'd love it, and I'd never have the time. Um, and I, I think it's just cause not only do I not want to say no, I don't want to miss the party. Like to me, like this is the magical time. Like, yeah, it's fun to go to a bar and hang out and have some drinks with some friends or see a movie, go whatever, whatever. But sometimes just sitting here with the computer, you know, cause now we're on the computer and working on that song and just kind of putting away at it. I just, I don't know. I just love doing it. You know, to me that gets me going. You sound so confident, really. I mean, it's easy to hang out with you, and I can picture I, hanging out with you for a day or two. And I've actually done some session work with you. Sure. Um, we've recorded an album together, and um, uh, it you make me think that why am I drawing? I could become an engineer. Like it's easy to be around you. How you talk makes it sound like it's not that hard. Just try it. Um, but w- like, what are your fears? What are the things that you think have kept you from? from moving along faster? Are there any aha moments where you're just like, why was I so worried about this or that or this person? Absolutely. My my fears was always when it was time to take that next step. I was a really good assistant engineer. Like I knew what you wanted to do before you did it. I literally had it set up. Like I could, would be in a session and you'd be doing something and I'd know, okay, well Matt really wants to add this compressor to the vocal because I know the sound he's going after. And you'd turn around looking for me, and I wouldn't be at the where the assistant sits. I'd be at the patch bay ready to put, plug something in. And the assistant Andrew would be like, what are you doing? Oh, you probably want the LA-2A, right? How'd you know? Come on, man. This is what I do. And I got to that point where I was afraid to take that next step because I was comfortable. You know, I was good at what I was doing. But I, I knew I was ready to take that step. I was dying to take that step. And there was always that fear of, well, what if the phone doesn't ring? This, you know, even though I'm not making that much money right now, I'm busy, you know. But you take that leap of faith, you take that step, you 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 go after those projects, and then you get to that next level. I start engineering, I start getting really good at it, getting a lot of people, you know, um, not only requesting me but driving up my price, right? 
you want me, it's going to be more money. Oh, and you want me to? Fantastic. And you get to that point where you're sitting with a producer and they're saying all these stupid things and you're thinking like, this guy is really sabotaging the record. Like the band's talking about one thing and he's talking about something completely different. Now, the hierarchy in the studio is, man, that dude could fire me any second because I'm not going to go behind his back and be like, yo, these guys, this dude's a fucking whack job. You know what I mean? But you play that game like, hey, you know, Mr. Producer, you know what would be a great idea? You have that guitar right there that the kid just did. What if we doubled it and put it on this side? Well, that's a good idea. Hey, band, let's, you know what I mean? And you start giving him like the little ideas. And then you realize like, I'm ready. But what if the phone doesn't ring? You know, because every time you hit that next level of your career, now I'm not fighting these guys. Now I'm fighting everybody. And I get to the point where I am right now with mixing and stuff like that. You know, my, my competition are guys that, you know, are, are, are winning Grammys every year, that, that are in the limelight. When I say that I'm not successful, it's because, you know, every business you have the stars, the, the people that everybody looks to as the guy, right? We all do the same work. I've never been the guy. I'm cool with that. But to me, that's, you know, when you're in a business, especially a small business, like the recording, tattooing, you know, um, I don't know if plumbers have a guy, but um, I'm sure that, you know, Bob Villa, right? But there's always that one person everybody looks to. And, you know, to me, I guess growing up in this industry, you know, that's my level of success to be the guy. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, why do I need to be the guy? Like, I, uh, sorry, why do I need to be the guy? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm making fantastic records. I'm meeting awesome people and get to do what I want to do. And someone gave me the keys to a school and said, why don't you do this? You know, why don't you go run this? And, um, you know, and it was a whole new journey to take on. You know, I, I guess it kind of goes back to the question of why do you, why do you not rest? Why are you so busy? Is that you know, a lot of times people put these things in front of me and can you do this? Of course I can do it. The best is when someone says, I can't do something. You can't open your own studio. Oh, really? Watch this. You know, when we built a studio downtown, they told me I couldn't do it in six months. Everybody, this is a 16-month project. In six months, we were putting the last lock on the door. You know what I mean? Now, did I work around the clock? You know, sometimes 20 hours a day to get it done? Absolutely. But that's what you do to get projects done. Um, and to, to have a woman like Pam, who, who at, was a CEO at the time, to have the faith in me to, um, you know, uh, to run the school, and, and, and give it a shot, who had, I had no experience in management of that level. Now, as a producer, I believe, and you say, why are you so calm? Why are you so this? Because as a producer, that's my demeanor. I have to be. There could be chaos everywhere, but I have to keep that ship running smooth, right? I have to make sure that, that creatively, everything's getting done, you know, that the guitars are being played, that the drums are in time, that this is that and the other thing. And also, at the end of the day, that our budget is being met. Because if I go over budget, whose who's pocket is it coming out of? It's coming out of my advance or my back end or whatever like that. So I don't want to lose money. So, you know, you got to keep that, you know, that cool demeanor. And, and I mean, I could be freaking out inside, but I'm just going to be like, it's cool. I, the, we're going to wrap it up. And I just want to ask one final question. If you could go back to the Hit Factory and run into young Carl, mm -hmm. what would you tell him? Um, that's a good question. What would I tell young Carl? 
I would tell him, um, don't worry so much. You know, you belong there. And why I say that is that in my early part of my career, I was always nervous someone was going to walk in and go, what the fuck are you doing in here? Why are you at the seat? Who the hell let you into this party? I always felt like I didn't have enough skills. And then one day, years later, finally, like, I belong. Go, you know, who wants some of this? You know what I mean? You were really going to try to get me out of here? Uh, it, it, I would tell him, like, you're on the right path. Don't worry about it. Uh, and it took me a long time to figure that out. It actually took a couple of industry professionals to, t- to tell me to, to relax. Um, I used to have a studio in Soho, and a good friend of mine, we played hockey together. So I played hockey on this team in New York City where it was all industry folks. And, the, uh, and one of my, my, my counterpart, and I played defense. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the penalty box too. But uh, So the guy that I played with was a president of a record company. And we went out to lunch one day. He was, he was trying to introduce me to new people and, you know, help network and stuff. And, uh, and I asked these, these, it was like two managers and this guy, and they're all really successful dudes. And I go, guys, you know, I feel like my career just is, has never went anywhere. I'm like, what are you talking about? I go, you know, I got the Nelly thing, and I got this, and I got that. It was way before the school. I, I still had my place in New York, right? And I go, but, you know, this is how I feel. And they go, they go, Carl, like every day we have engineers and producers calling us, you know, begging for work. They go, you know, you do so many different genres that you're always working. Now, you might not have those big hits or whatever, whatever, whatever. He goes, but you have a career that people, you know, are jealous of. And you never see that while you're doing it. You know what I mean? You need someone to say, kind of like slap you in the face and be like, look, dude, like, look at you, look what you have. And then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, you know, I guess, I guess they are right. You know, I guess I am doing something right. And at the end of the day, it always comes back to hard work. And I'm afraid to to put in the extra time. Never afraid to, 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 to take on the project. Never afraid to say to say uh, yes. That was perfect. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Of course. <laughs>